This is our sermon text from the book of Philippians. Paul speaking to the church at Philippi. Chapter 1, verses 12 through 26 from the book of Philippians. This is Paul writing from jail. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But that to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. The word of the Lord. As I have studied Christianity, it seems to me that we have developed a caste system in Christianity. If you know what I mean by caste system, if you go to India or some other uh, cultures, there's a stratification of class. You know, there's the high ups and there's the untouchables and the unwashed and there's a whole spectrum between them. And it seems to me that there is a caste system in Christianity. And you have those who live in the ethereal realms of somehow moved and transcending to a new plane of Christian existence. Uh, like Paul, who live in such a selfless way, it seems that it's almost inhuman. And then you have uh, the profligates down at the bottom, uh, those uh, worldly Christians, if you will, who live double lives. And then you have everybody kind of in between. And uh, we evaluate others and we evaluate ourselves on this sort of scale. Sometimes when we read a passage like this, uh, our eyes can tend to glaze over. Uh, for we hear the way Paul lives and what Paul writes about and, and uh, somehow we resign ourselves to the fact that I could never live like that. I could never do something like that. The question I really want to tackle is simply this. What does it mean to live the normal Christian life? What does it mean to live as a Christian? We have the definition that's given to us by our American evangelical world. And we have the message given to us by Paul. Which are we to live? How are we to live them? It seems that often we settle in our Christianity because we simply don't 
understand how to move to this kind of level and we've resigned ourselves to a comfortable, complacent, if not mediocre Christianity. And I want to challenge us and suggest to us that the life that Paul is living here, the life that he's talking about, to live as Christ, to die as gain, is actually the normal Christian life that we are called to. That for many of us, we're actually living an abnormal Christian life. That we're settling for less than we are. And so the call that Paul is giving us and the call that I'm giving you today is to simply live out who you are. In order to understand who we are, we have to delve deeply into this passage. And we're going to do this through the life of Paul. We're going to look at three particular things of Paul. Number one, Paul's purpose. What is Paul living for? What should we be living for? Number two, Paul's power. He seems to live with a power that defies the world. Where are we to find this power if we want to live this normal Christian life? And then finally, Paul's legacy. Paul has a legacy to give. In fact, we all have a life to live and a legacy to give. What is the legacy that God is calling us to and how are we to give it? So let's begin with Paul's purpose. Paul is in jail, verse 12, where he says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. It would appear, since he's referencing the imperial guard, that he is in Rome. There were no armies allowed in Italy, but the, uh, but the uh, Caesar himself uh, could keep his imperial guard, which is a force of about 4,000 of the most elite troops. Uh, they were stationed there to protect Rome and to uh, watch over um, uh, Caesar. And so it appears that he's in Rome and, and uh, Paul, who is imprisoned there in the garrison, his life and the way that he's living it, the purposes for why he's in prison are being disseminated so that the entire imperial guard, all of these 4,000 soldiers, know about this man Paul and why he's in Christ. He seems to be having a great impact upon these soldiers. Paul has a viewpoint of his circumstances. Normally when you're in prison, things aren't going too well. But notice how Paul is interpreting his circumstances. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. He's writing to the church. Indeed, it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard that my imprisonment is for Christ. Now Paul's not talking about his circumstances. You would think that that would be the, maybe the, uh, the point that he'd get to, you know, that I'm suffering here, that things are very hard, that uh, I'm lonely, that I'm discouraged. But Paul seems to be viewing his imprisonment rather through the lens of what is this doing to advance the cause of Christ? Indeed, it would appear in verse 17 that there is this faction of people that are now beginning to preach Christ. Some, uh, two factions, some out of goodwill, some out of sincerity, but another preaching Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. 
So there are enemies of Paul that have come out of the woodwork now that Paul's in prison. They're preaching the gospel, but ultimately they're doing it in such a way to gain power. And indeed, it appears they're disparaging Paul in the midst of it. They're looking to afflict him in their imprisonment. But Paul's response shows the viewpoint that he has about life. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Quite the opposite of what these intended people are doing, Paul is rejoicing. Paul is not overly concerned with his reputation or his place in the community, the status or standing that he has that is falling because he's been taken out of the picture. No, he's happy because even though in false motives, Christ is being preached and he's rejoicing even in prison. One apparently can rejoice in prison. You see, to Paul, Jesus is the center of Paul's world. Notice in verse 20, it's actually my eager expectation and hope that I will not be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Paul is sharing to the Philippians his goal, his life's aim, whether at the top of his game or at the bottom, that Christ would be honored That word means that he would be lifted up, that he would be exalted. And that he would be honored now as always in Paul's life, whether in good or in bad. Whether Paul's in prison or Paul is out preaching the gospel. And his desire is that he would be exalted, notice his words, in my body, in the way that I live, in the way that I present myself. Paul sees himself as a a mouthpiece, as a megaphone, that his life is communicating a message. And that message is that Christ would be honored, now as always, whether I'm living or indeed in the manner in which I die. Paul is all in, if you will, for Jesus Christ. And he gives this unbelievable statement, for to me, To live is Christ, and to die is gain. If you want to sum it up, the sentence that sums up the purpose of Paul's entire existence, it is this. To live is Christ, and to die is gain. This is why I live. This is in the book of Philippians, if we continue on, where we read Paul in Philippians 3, describing his past and present. For whatever was to my credit, I consider loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ. Indeed, I consider everything a loss, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him. I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings. I am about His interests and His glory. It's no longer about me, it's about Him. For to live is Christ and to die is gain. What do you mean, Paul, to die is gain? Notice verse 23, I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. In other words, Paul is saying, if I die, 
I get to go be with Christ, which is the goal of my life anyways. So to live is to honor and exalt Him. To die is to go be with Him and worship Him. He is my goal. He is my prize. I want to suggest to you that Paul is the most normal of us all. How can I say that? Well, I think many of us who are Christians understand the concept that Christ was crucified for me. But I'm not sure that we understand the concept that I was crucified with Him. What does it mean that I was crucified with Him? Romans 6.2 put it this way. By no means we are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us were baptized into Christ Jesus? Who were baptized into Christ Jesus? Were baptized into His death. See, the problem of you and me was so great that to God no rehabilitation was possible. It wasn't a question of reforming us, of our habits of teaching us the right way to live. Indeed, only death could solve the problem. We have something called the death penalty in this country, don't we? It's when a decision has been made, there's no possibility of rehabilitation for this person. We had to die. Verse 6 in Romans 6 puts it this way, For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we would no longer be slaves to sin. How does one sum up the word sin? I would use this acronym, self-indulgence now. Sin is self-indulgence now. An obsession with living for myself. See, the greatest prison of mankind is the prison of living for self. Because we were not meant to live for ourselves. We were meant to live for another. Remember that great parable or that great story in the Gospels where uh, they're trying to trap Jesus and so they hold up an inscription, a coin. They said, is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Jesus says, give me that coin. Who's whose inscription and whose image is on it? Well, it's Caesar's. Then give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. And Jesus could have very easily turned to man, to them and said, and whose inscription and image is on you? Well, it's God's. We were made in the image of God. Then give to God what belongs to Him. We are a portrait of another. The fall of mankind, if you play the tape back to Adam and Eve, who were created to live for the glory of God, for His purposes. And when the serpent came to them, came to them and said to them, guess what, if you eat of this tree, you can be like God, knowing good and evil. In effect, you don't need Him anymore. You can take His place and be your own God. They were not naive savants living in the garden. No, it was a decision. As Philippians 2.21 puts it this way, for everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. And if you go out into the world, 
the world will heartily agree that the purpose of life is to live for yourself. That that's normal. It makes sense to watch out for number one because you're number one. Right? You've got to get to the top of the heap. You've got to look out for your own interests because there is no God. You are God. Of course, it doesn't work if we're all God, is it? So we play semantic games with one another. You can have your truth and I can have my truth. And as long as it doesn't butt up against each other, everybody's going to be fine. But when you want to be God, you want to be God of everything. Not just your own little piece. Wasn't Jesus the exact opposite of this? Jesus who came to this earth to demonstrate to us how we were to live and to provide a new way to live. It's only in chapter 2, a little bit further, where Paul admonishes the people to do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, value others above yourself. Not looking to your own interest, but to the interest of others. Your attitude should be the same as Jesus Christ, who though being equal to God, did not consider equality with God something to hold on to, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. The word there actually is bondservant, slave. It was Jesus that said to the people, for I've come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. For I always do what pleases him. Jesus created a new way through death on the cross that we would die on the cross with him. Romans says we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Christ's death freed us, if you are a Christian, from the greatest prison, which is the prison of self. We were made for another. And so Paul is simply choosing to embrace who he is. The question, my friends, is this. Have we? I remember becoming a Christian at age 18. And I was dating this uh, gal and her family. They went to church. Our family didn't really go to church. And so they were the Christians and I was not. And all of a sudden, I, I became a Christian. And I'm reading the Bible and, and seeking to live for this person. And I was talking to my girlfriend on the phone and uh, uh, my girlfriend's mother picked up. And I think she was a little bit tipsy. And she started to give me some tips on Christianity. My girlfriend was mortified. But her tips were basically this. She said, Carlos, I think you're a little too zealous with this Christian thing. You've gone a little bit overboard, okay? You need to tone it down a little bit, okay? It's, it's you know, yes, you know, you live a good life, so on and so on. Basically, it was the Christian life without Christ. You can live the Christian life, quote-unquote, and not be a Christian at all. And I've noticed as I 
seek to live out my life for Christ, you've probably noticed this as well, that you periodically get these phone calls from people, right? Don't go overboard with this thing, okay? Shh. Got to look out for yourself. That's crazy to live for another person. Don't you know what's going to happen? He's just like everybody else. He's going to stomp on you. You've got to take care of yourself. So the world and our flesh and the devil communicate a message to tamp down the gospel. And so we live out a life that we think is Christianity, but it's really quite abnormal. And so Paul is telling us, and I am telling you, that you are made for another. You know, the one thing I never want to happen is you end up getting to heaven thinking that you were a Christian and you were not because I didn't tell you the truth. And the truth is we were made for another. And there's no way to rehabilitate this old self. Christ died for us and to embrace Christ, we must die too. Indeed, if you are a Christian, you have died at the core of who you are. Now it's simply that we are to live out the new life that God has given in us. If a Christian, I have a choice of how I am to live. This was a journal entry from my oldest son, Mark, who's no longer with us, who sought to follow Christ. He wrote this on November 8, 2013. Jesus wants everything. I cannot count the costs and say, well, I'll just keep this one thing for my life. No. What am I holding back? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. If I let go of everything for him, he'll naturally become my obsession. At the same time, he commands me to love others. This is a ridiculous task if I'm living a life of self. Paul did it. Mark did it. And we must too. And so I simply want you to fill in the blank. To live is blank. To die is gain. To live is blank. To die is gain. You've seen the t-shirts, haven't you? Life is football. The rest is just details. Life is blank. The rest is just details. Well, life is my business. It's what I live for. It's all about my business. Life is my children. I live for my children. For their happiness, for their well-being, for their safety. Life is my status in this community. How I'm thought of. What people think of me. Life is my boyfriend. Life is my girlfriend. There's a throne in our hearts. And God gives us the choice to put anything on it that we want. There are consequences. There's one thing meant to live on the throne of our hearts. And that is God's Son, Jesus Christ. 
And so we must give to him our life. And we must live the crucified life in its place. We were made to live for another. And when you choose to live for Christ, you shall find both his life and your own as well. Let's move on to point two, Paul's confidence. I don't know if there's a part of you that says, Paul, how can you be so confident? I mean, how does Paul not fall into despair as he's surrounded by this elite guard? He's actually being guarded 24 hours a day by six soldiers all around him. But for Paul, this is good news. He gets to talk to these guys about Christ and they can't go anywhere. I mean, think about this crazy statement, right? Paul, we're going to kill you to die as gain. All right, Paul, we're going to let you live to live as Christ. How do you stop that? You can't stop that. Even amidst his circumstances, Paul has confidence in God that he can't see. It's because of this. Notice verse 18. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. But notice right after that, Paul says, yes, and I will rejoice again. What's he rejoicing on the second time? First time, he's rejoicing the fact that, Paul, that Christ is being preached. The second time, he's saying, yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. In other words, even though I'm here, I'm not alone. Why? Because the Spirit of Jesus Christ is with me. And He is helping me. And in His Word, Jesus said, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. I am the vine. You are the branches. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Through the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ and through your prayers. In other words, what God's doing in the life of the people around Him. This will turn out for my deliverance. The word deliverance, salvation would be the word uh, if we wanted to translate it a different way. He's not talking about salvation simply from the standpoint of salvation in Christ. He has that. What he's talking about is in the midst of this circumstance, God will deliver me. God will deliver me either by rescuing me or God will deliver me by strengthening me that I will live true to who I am all the way to the end. I'm not afraid of my circumstances because God is with me. See, Paul knows that the reason he is this way, the reason he believes in Jesus Christ in the first place is because God the Father has put a new spirit in his heart. Was not this the Paul who was busy holding the coats of people while they stoned Christians to death? Was this not the Paul who was zealous to stomp on Christianity to go and arrest Christians? Was this not the Paul who even on the road to Damascus was on his way to arrest Christians when Christ met him and gave him a new life? Paul of all people knows that he's not worthy of Christ. And yet God the Father wants to call him son, indeed calls him son, and has rescued him despite himself. 
It's God who has began a new work in him. It's Christ who demonstrated his own love for Paul in that while Paul was still an enemy, Christ died for him. It's in Ephesians 2 where Paul says, for by grace it has been saved. Uh, you have been saved through faith and this not from yourself. It's a gift of God. In other words, this goal that I have to live for Christ is not something that I came up with. It's something that's been put in me. And he who began a good work in me is not going to leave me in the middle of this. He's going to carry it to the end. That this will turn out for my deliverance. Notice verse 20. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body. It's his expectation. He believes it's going to happen. He has confidence. See, I think all too often, we're afraid of what comes next. We don't think we have the strength to live in such a way as that person and that person. And the truth of the matter is we don't. But he does. And he will be there every step of the way regardless of the circumstances that we're put in. Because he has led us into those circumstances. Left to myself, Paul left to himself, we will fall. But Paul has learned the secret of being content in any circumstance, hasn't he? I can do everything through him who gives me strength. To honor Christ is his goal. To live by Christ is his power. Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. And the life I live in this body, I live by faith in him who loved me and gave himself for me. And so I'm going to live this new life by faith, confident in him. As Romans says, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus Christ from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. We say, I could never live like that. I don't have the strength. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. I think of the two saints in the year 1555, Nicholas Radley and Hugh Latimer. I don't know if you've ever heard of them. They were one of hundreds who were uh, killed under the reign of Queen uh, Mary, Bloody Mary as she was called. King Edward VIII had taken the English church out from under Roman Catholicism. And uh, uh, Edward's son came to power. And then after Edward's son, Mary came to power. And Mary quickly took the Church of England back into the Catholic fold. Well, all those who were Protestant Christians were left hanging out to dry. And two of those were Nicholas Ridley and Hugh Latimer, bishops of the Church of England. And so they were brought before this tribunal. And they were asked what they thought of the Pope, that if, if he was the head of the church. And they stood before and they said that the Pope was a mere man. 
that Jesus Christ was the head of the church and that they could not submit to a man above the scriptures. And so they were sentenced to be burned to the stake. And so they were placed there at, at Oxford, actually, tied to the stake literally with wood all around them. And as he was being tied to the stake, Ridley prayed, O Heavenly Father, I give unto thee most hearty thanks that thou hast called me to be a professor of thee even unto death. I beseech thee, Lord God, to have mercy on me this realm of England and deliver it from all her enemies. Ridley's brother had brought some gunpowder for the men to place around their necks so death would come more quickly to them as the fire spread and would kill them. But Ridley still suffered greatly. With a loud voice, Ridley cried, Into thy hands I commit my spirit, but the wood was green and burned only his lower parts. Have mercy on me, I cannot burn, let the fire come to me. But Latimer died much more quickly, and as the flames rose, Latimer, while dying, encouraged Ridley. Be of comfort, Mr. Ridley, and play the man. We shall this day light such a candle by God's grace in England as I trust never shall be put out. People can worship freely in England today. The question, of course, is do they choose to or not? Have you ever asked that question? I don't know that I could die a martyr's death if I was in such a situation. The answer, of course, is you couldn't now. But God gives us the power to live the normal Christian life. See, it's not that the Christian life has been tried and found impossible. It's that the Christian life has been found difficult and left untried. We've settled. But we're called to live the life of Paul and Ridley and Latimer. Each of us has a life to live. Each of us has a legacy to give. So all I'm saying is for us to be who we are. Our confidence is in the cross. To step out in faith. To decide I'm going to live for another. For the one who died for me. For the one who I was raised for. It's his love that propels us. And it's his power that sustains us. So what are your circumstances? You're not in prison currently, unless you consider my sermons to be something to that effect. I'm divorced. I was left hanging. I don't trust anybody anymore. Christ is calling me to live for him in that circumstance. I'm sick. My body doesn't work. No matter what I do, I continue to stay sick. We're being called to play the man, to play the woman. Not in our own strength, but in the strength of Christ. That as we honor him, he will give us the strength to endure. He will deliver us. I'm lonely. I don't have friends. I feel unknown. I'm afraid. I experience fear all the time. Those voices that speak to me. Nobody cares for you. Nobody's going to watch over you. I want to suggest to you that in the normal Christian life, it is only there that you can find 
the greatest peace ever, the peace that you were meant to find, that I am in the arms of my Savior, who is a worthy goal of my heart and a worthy power for my strength. We were made to live for another. And when you choose to live for Christ, it's there you shall find both his life and yours as well. This brings me to my final point, Paul's legacy. Ridley and Latimer had a legacy. Each of us has a life to live and a legacy to give. And it's our life more than our words that will be a testimony. I like the tombstone of my uh, wife's uh, grandfather, Billy Mays, who died probably about seven years ago. It simply says this, Billy Mays, a good man. That was his last testimony. And he was a good man because he loved the Lord. Notice what's going on with Paul's imprisonment, with how he's living his life, the effect it's having on others. Verse 14, And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. They were afraid before. But the testimony of Paul has given them confidence. Not in themselves, but in the God that Paul serves. In the God that Paul has confidence in. It's given them boldness to speak. In the end, I think what will be most important is not necessarily what I did, but why I did it. Why I lived my life. As 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says, Stand firm then, dear brothers. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself to the work of the Lord because your labor is not in vain. And so in the midst of your particular circumstance, there is opportunity. I think that our circumstances are the opportunity for our finest hour. What's your circumstance right now? Maybe I'm a homemaker and I'm in the midst of raising small kids and the tedium and the daily constant work and I'm isolated from the world. Can I live for Christ in such a way that it leaves a legacy? Absolutely. Ask those kids. They're your legacy. The way that you give yourself to your work for Christ. Well, Carlos, I work a menial job and it's just there and it's day in and day out and I'm resigned to it and there's no life in it and it just sucks the life from me. Christ is there in the midst of that opportunity to do it for Him, to honor Him. Your soldiers are all around you. Honor Christ. I'm a retiree. I've been sort of cast aside. I have no power or purpose or influence, it feels like, Carlos. Well, this is your greatest time to live for Christ, to honor Him, for His power to come forth as you follow His purposes. See, the great thing is wherever you are, He is. And wherever He's put you, you're there because He has put you there. Remember what the normal Christian life is as I close. 
We were made to live for another. And if you are a Christian, the old you has gone, the new you has come. When you choose to live for Christ, it's then that you shall find both his life and your own as well. So have the right purpose. Live by the right power. And let him take care of the legacy. Play the man. Play the woman. Today, this very day, you can light such a fire that through the grace of God, it will never be put out. Let it be so of Redeemer Press. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, thank you for saving me from the prison of myself. Why do I continue to go back there again and again? Jesus, I was made to live for you. Help me to live with your honor and your purposes preeminent in my life, trusting that you will never leave me or forsake me, that as I set my path for you, that you will give me the strength to walk the steps. Pray all of this in Christ's name.